Paz IM Radio with your co-hosts Robert Brining and Aaron Laxton. We go around the world and across the United States. Join in the conversation by calling in to 929-477-3572. That's 929-477-3572. This week, we have your HIV scoop with Josh Robbins and your positive message from Rise Up to HIV and Kevin Maloney. Your weekly dose of hope. Pause IM Radio. I hope you're ready for season two because it starts now. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Pause I Am Radio. I am your host, Robert Brining, and joined by my fabulous co-host, Aaron Laxton. Aaron, how are you this what is it, inaugural weekend? <laughs> you know, I'm great. It's a be- the weather is beautiful here in St. Louis. It was 70 yesterday, um, and it's in the 60s today, so we're getting a, a teaser of what spring will look like. Uh, it's definitely been a, a good weather week to be outside. Um, uh, yesterday, 20,000 people showed up uh, here in St. Louis. Um, to stand in solidarity uh, with women. So that was really awesome. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely moving to turn on the television yesterday and to see so many people. I mean, not only across the United States, but across the globe that were, you know, standing in solidarity solidarity with women and just marching and, and standing up for something that they feel, you know, is important. It was just, to me, it moved me. It, it 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 made me mad that I wasn't involved in it because I don't live in the city, so I work in the city every week, you know, every day. So to go down there, mm-hmm. you know, one more day and fight all that traffic with all those people just would have been ridiculous. So, you know, if I lived in the city, I would have been out there marching, and, and I know that for sure. But just being a distance from the city, it allowed me not to go. But seeing it moved me as an activist and was like, wow, look at that. Yeah, I, you know, to say that I was, you know, not awestruck while I was there is a beautiful thing. I actually went out in full leather gear, um, you know, to, to really just show representation of the LGBT community. Um, but the beautiful thing is that you saw all sorts of people, uh, younger, not so younger, uh, white, black, brown, uh, able body, you know, differently uh, able individuals were there. I wish uh, every demographic was represented. And, and really the, the battle cry was, you know, we're standing together in solidarity. Um, I, I, I think I shared it earlier, you know, Donald Trump, um, he, he wasn't able to unify the country, but he was able to unite the country um, in solidarity against him. Well, that is true. I mean, the numbers don't lie. There definitely is strength in numbers. And I mean, compared to the inauguration itself and the, you know, the photos from what I've seen of the marches everywhere. I mean, it was just crazy. There was just people everywhere. I, I just, you know, it has to mean something. I mean, I can't imagine what he is thinking when he drove, you know, by in his motor cage or when he was sitting in the White House or his family looking out and seeing all of those people 
that were just there saying like, you're not going to forget about us. Like we are still here. And it was just, it was just awesome. It was just an awesome feeling as an activist to see that it, it, it kind of it, recharged yeah. me to kind of want to get out there. It made me very nostalgic, you know, watching the videos from DC. Um, you know, I remember, you know, marching in the same streets, um, you know, David taking video, taking pictures, 2012 in the international AIDS conference when we were there. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, being in the streets, marching, I, I think we have a long road ahead of us. Uh, I'm actually working on uh, organizing an LGBT um, rally in March. Uh, we have five pieces of legislation here in the state of Missouri, everything from transgender, um, basically, you know, the ability for individuals to, um, uh, you know, not serve uh, transgendered individuals, on down to marriage, you know, laws that would impact marriage equality and things like that. So I think every state, uh, you know, look at your own state, look, see what's going on, see where you can get involved. Um, and there's really no small action. Like if you put forth energy to change this broken system, then we're better off for it. So, um, yeah, I would definitely, definitely get involved in some capacity. Yeah, you know, and that's part, one of the things Robert, that I, I mean, this show each week, you're doing a huge, uh, a huge task right there. Yeah, no, no, I agree. But sometimes I want to be out there on the front lines and I just, I don't know. I guess Maria Mejia, our friend of the show here, she tweeted something and, and Facebooked a, a quote that talked about how, you know, there's all different kinds of activists. You know, some of them are on the front lines holding the signs like you, Aaron. <laughs> you know, some of them are more behind the scenes, maybe more like myself. You know, but then there's there's all different people. Some of them will, are better at going and talking to the state representatives and, and, and you know, doing work that way. You know what I mean? Like uh, Brandon Maxada. There's, there's certain people who do certain things that have their own niche in activism. And, you know, it was a good point that she brought up. And I think our guests that we're going to be speaking with a little bit later, Joseph, you know, he, you know what I mean? has found his niche in, in his way of activism and everybody does it different. So, um, you know, we also, we never open up the phone line. So I just want to do it from now, uh, from the beginning of the show now that you're more than welcome to call us at any point during the show with comments or questions, 929-477-3572. Uh, we're taking your calls all hour here. So one of the things I wanted to talk about, which kind of hit headlines online was uh, how pages were being removed from the White House website. What kind of insight do you have on that? Is that something that is done, you know, kind of during every administration when it changes, or is it something that we should be alarmed about? Because I kind of read both sides of the stories online, so I'm not sure what you what your take is on that. Yeah, I mean, we absolutely need to be alarmed with it. I mean, with the, yeah, you're going to have some turnover and there's different issues. Um, there's two issues that I think in particular that I'm interested in and that we saw immediately go away, right? So. As we knew before, Donald Trump does not have an HIV-AIDS strategy, um, and that was one of the pages that was removed. So besides LGBT, um, you had, you now have, you know, no HIV strategy in the White House. Um, I think it, it it's easy for people to downplay that and say, well, you know, it's just turning over the administration, this, that, and the other. No, I mean, Donald Trump and his administration they've had the same stance for the last year and a half. They've not had an HIV AIDS strategy for that entire time. They've been waging war against LGBT. So I think them not having a website 
that it's just, uh, you know, hey, he's in office. They can do what they want. And now it's kind of one of those things, like, I, I see people getting really alarmed about it now when, you know, the uh, he's already in the hen house now. And we have to try to figure out how we can preserve and save um, what we have. Because the GOP is uh, waging war against LGBT and certainly um, people living with HIV. That was one of his first executive orders is to start rolling back the Affordable Care Act. So it looks like I have a caller here on the line. So let's go ahead and bring this caller on area code 407. You're on the air. Who's this? Hi, it's Danny. How y'all doing? Good. Hey, How are you, Danny? I'm good. I'm good. I'm in shock over over the whole Trump thing, you know, and um, I don't know. I'm ready to fight, but I'm getting tired, guys. You know, I'm not a young person anymore. I'm 48 years old, but I got to do what I got to do to, you know, make sure we have our rights. And uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm scared. I really am. And I don't get scared, you know. I've fought HIV for almost nine years. You know, I've been homeless. I've been around. I've been fought addiction. But Trump is just like uh, really got me freaked out. Can you guys offer any insight? Definitely. I, I think how you're feeling right now is, you know, kind of echoed throughout the country, right? So that's how we have three million people that come out estimated yesterday across, you know, 605 different protests across the country. First thing I'd say is self-care, right? So we've got to take care of ourselves. Um, you know, we've got to be able to talk to people and, and realize that, um, you know, we're in this thing together. I think the other thing is, is, and Robert alluded to it at the top of the show, we all have different capabilities. We all have different things that we're good at. So whether right. that's a letter campaign, whether that's phoning your, your members of Congress and your legislators in your state, Right. Five I have them all on. Nip- they're all on. They're all on speed yeah. dial. <laughs> I'm yeah, great at leaving. Me- I leave skating messages all the time, and you know what? It's my little part that I do, and I don't know if it does any good, but it must. You know, eventually somebody's going to hear me. You know. Yeah, you know. So keep keep doing that, and then I would just say, um, continue doing what you can. Um, we we will be okay, but the the road ahead of us is long, and uh, it's certainly not easy. So. Right. Um, but yeah, how you're feeling, I, I will say is completely from what I've been hearing. And Robert, you may be able to speak in a different capacity, but I hear that a lot from people saying, hey, I'm just really stressed yeah. out. I'm really upset. I'm really anxious. Um, I didn't vote so, for the, I didn't vote for the SOB. And I know you all didn't vote for him either. It's like, how did he sneak in there? You know, did he buy the vote? I mean, really, there's lots of speculation out there, but. I don't know. He's just not fit to be president. I don't think. You know, I I just um I get I don't know. Shot. I, I want think, Obama for yeah, eight more years, kind of, please. Yeah, I well, think I, we yeah, all do. Danny. I think, I think point, we all do. Know, he's in the White House. We have to do what we have to, um, in order to have the checks and balances, and to try to keep everyone in D.C. Uh, as honest as what we can. And so we're going to depress them for um, ethics transparency uh, and we're going to have to lean you know if you're not planning on going to AIDS watch consider going to AIDS watch, AIDS watch um, and, and and let your voice be heard there um, but yeah that's that that would be my recommendation uh, Danny okay thank you very hey, much Danny. I appreciate it and I'm going to tr- I'm, I'm going to try to get to AIDS watch it's in August isn't it August or September 
uh, I'm not sure on the dates, but you can go on to the website on the AIDS United website. Um, okay. And click on the AIDS Watch tab, and I'll have all the info on there. Okay. I'll do it right now. Thank you so much. Right. Keep up, Thanks, keep up keep the good work. Me. All right. Thank okay. You. Bye bye. Hi, Danny. You know, I, I definitely think that's what a lot of people have been saying to us. You know, tweeting us at the show about they're worried about, um, you know, their 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 own personal you know, life, whether they're gay or, or HIV positive, you know, with this administration. And it's it's kind of been, you know, like a reality thing for a lot of people who voted for Trump. You know, I have people, family members who have voted for Trump, and they don't realize how it affected me in a way because, like, I still get frustrated about it. Like, I take it personal. You know what I mean? When I shouldn't, you know what I mean? Everybody has the right to do vote however they want. But, like, I guess I feel like I should have maybe been a little bit more vocal of how – him taking office would have affected me, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. people like me, you know what I mean? Because a lot of people vote for their own reasons. They don't vote for the people that they love all the time. So, you know, I right. agree, you know, with Danny, it's scary, but it's something that we're, we're dealing with. And, and I guess we have to deal with, so we have to just continue to, you know, use our voice, you know, and it's when we think that our voice isn't important anymore. And, and when we think that we're getting tired, it's, it's time to get louder, you know, <laughs> Well, there's a there's a professor who teaches out at UC Berkeley, um, and his name is Robert Reich. He actually served under the Clinton administration, um, and he says something. And I want to challenge listeners: there is nothing normal about this administration. Absolutely nothing normal, right? So, I would say along that same vein, we do not have to normalize. We should not normalize hate, bigotry xenophobia, misogyny, all of those things, right? And, and so, and we even deal with it with HIV, right? We should not normalize stigma. Um, and so I think that's really the unifier is that people are standing up saying, hey, this is not normal. We have someone in the White House that, you know, perpetuates sexual assaults on women, makes fun of people with mental health challenges, disabilities, so, you know, the list, we all know the list of things, right? Um, right. Yeah, there's, there's nothing normal about this, and, and we have to challenge on every turn our friends, family, coworkers, not to allow pass, you know, passivity. The time for passivity is over. I agree. So with that, let's move on to this week's HIV Scoop with Josh Robbins. This is your HIV Scoop with Josh Robbins, exclusive for Pause I Am Radio. Buzzworthy HIV news in under 90 seconds. Here's Josh Robbins in this week's HIV Scoop. Hey guys, what's up? All right, well, you know, the NYPD, you know, like the TV show NYPD Blue, the NYPD have their hands full of President Trump's, his residence located there. The riots, the demonstrations, and now this. They're being slapped with an HIV discrimination employment lawsuit. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's crazy. This all stems back three years when Raymond Parker, he's a 60-year-old Brooklyn man, he applied for a job as a, at the police department as a technician. He underwent the background and medical check. Well, he disclosed he was HIV positive. After learning this, they ordered more tests and discovered that he had a low CD4 count. Because of that, they denied him being hired as a dispatcher. Are you serious? So federal prosecutors have filed a lawsuit accusing the NYPD of violating the Americans with Disabilities Act. Everyone. 
Rural employers learn you can't discriminate against us. Good luck to Parker on this one. All right, listen to this. There's new research that was just released from the University of British Columbia School of Population and Public Health in Vancouver that says gay and bisexual men that are taking antiretroviral drugs to treat HIV infection may be at increased risk for syphilis. Really? This story is from WebMD, and it says, based on a review of available evidence, the investigators concluded that the drugs may boost susceptibility to the bacterium that causes syphilis. Now, although the study did not prove cause and effect, this reiterates the importance of being screened. I'm Josh Robbins. This was your HIV scoop. All right, Josh, thanks for that. So what are your uh, what are your thoughts on... Uh the 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 first story there about the the NYPD and the discrimination uh, lawsuit going on. Well, we hope that these stories get fewer and fewer, and unfortunately, uh, you know, they they keep coming. I think it goes to the fact that we still have HIV stigma out there, and and people are still rightfully afraid. I, I but. To have employers like the NYPD, um, I, I don't cut them a whole lot of slack. And so they need to be called on the carpet. And we have to keep pressing these cases because we know for every one case that's reported, there's probably 50 more that are not reported because they're so hard to prove discrimination on the employment front. That is true. And that's why it's so important that we have activists like our guest today, Joseph Gray, um, you know, out there doing work he's doing sharing his story and and, you know making a difference out there so i want to go ahead and bring our guest on today our guest is a 24 year old activist who lives in california he's a recovering addict and now sharing his own story here on pause i am radio welcome joseph gray to the show how you doing joseph good morning hey joseph so so do you want to go by joseph joe or joey uh joey is fine thank you all right joey so welcome welcome to the show how are you doing this afternoon I'm doing well. How are you? We are well. We are well here at the show. So uh, I want to thank you for coming on and and sharing your story. I know. um, Tell us a little bit about um, the beginning. Let's talk a little bit about how you how you were uh, how you brought up, how you were raised, and and we'll move on to you know when you were diagnosed. How was it like growing up for you? Um, Well, for me, I was. I was abandoned at two and a half, and I entered the system, um, and I lived in facilities um, for pretty much all of my childhood, all the way up until my uh, mid-teens, until I was about 15, 16 years old. (laughs) And, uh, And that was really my childhood, you know, and that's not to say that some of it was, uh, was not loving, caring, and kind, and I, I cherish those moments, right? And, um, you know, and it was like um, it was like a nightmare I couldn't wake up from, you know? And um, it's taken a lot of work, um, it, like internal work for me to, um, to move on from that stuff. And, uh, so you know, and I still say so, have so- those... Go ahead. I know I was going to say so. So, where, where was it exactly that you grew up? What what a state? Um, in California. Um, okay, so you, you say you grew up in California. 
How was it? How yeah. was it? Because you, you know, in in the in the the piece that you gave me, the writing that you wrote, you you know, you grew up um, in I guess in the system. I guess was it foster homes, group homes, uh, foster homes, group homes, um, uh, temporary placement, uh, a few adoptions that fell through. Um, you know, that's that's all part of my story. So, so going through house to house or group to group, how was it? Because um, I know myself, just growing up in a quote unquote what they call normal home, household, you know what I mean. I it was hard for me to accept being gay, you know what I mean, and things like that growing up. So, not having any kind of, I guess, of a base structure. How was it for you growing up and and moving in? Because I know, you know, you later on you moved into using you know, uh, drugs and things like that. And that was something that I did and it was a part of accepting myself. So how difficult was it growing up in, you know, that kind of environment and, and learning about being gay? It was, uh, it was really difficult because, you know, when you're growing up in that environment and, um, there are multiple people coming in and out of my life, right. Um, you know, doing the best they can with the information that they, that they have, whether it's misinformation or, um, you know, politically correct information, as I know today, right? Um, right. I got bullied a lot for being not as as less as athletic as the other boys that I grew up with, or my voice not being, you know, what is socially normalized as a um, young man or a man's voice, right? So uh, it was really difficult because I just in just isolated. I cut people off. I would always keep people, and to this day, I still struggle with that, is keeping people at his arm's distance and um, because of a lot of the trauma that I have growing up. Um, and it wasn't, uh, so it was the adult, then the children, you know, um, those put in mm-hmm. place to protect me as a child. Um, you know, when you have adults in my life at that time where it's all hate speech, right? And, um, right. you know, I was all, I was told, you know, I was going to go to hell and I, you know, all that stuff, right? And, uh, mm-hmm. and it was just really hard to, to find that internal acceptance of myself until later on, um, you know, when I finally got out of the system, my grandmother adopted me when I was 13, and I still had to go to their facilities as a, um, during the day. And um, when I finally graduated from their facility and I went to high school, high school is really where I kind of blossom into my own of my, um, my sexual well-being and um, really had a loving and caring foundation at my high school. We had a GSA. And, um, you know, that's really where I found my footing to accept myself and, and, and kind of, um, that's kind of awesome to hear because, uh, yeah, that's, that's awesome because in in high school, a lot of people don't have that self-acceptance and for that to be a place where you found it, you know, that's kind of an, an incredible turnaround from the usual story that we hear, because I know when I was in high school, it was something that I dealt with. And I, they didn't yeah. have, you know, yeah. groups and things that you could get together and allies and things like that. There was no such thing. Like, it was a big thing in my school when there was a multicultural group. It was like, oh, my Lord, we're breaking barriers, you know. So for you to find acceptance there in yourself and, and to, I guess, the beginning of self-love, you know, when you started going there, that's that's incredible. So yeah, it was, just a, 
very tip of the iceberg for me, like very like just the beginning, like just cracking the door open to that. But it wasn't until um, later, you know, just this last couple of years that I've really started to do the work to work on self-acceptance and self-love um, and, and really, um, and to really work on that, you know, um, that may have been the little kind of spark that opened my eyes, like that self-awareness of, you know what, I don't look at girls, right? I'm looking at boys and that self-awareness at that age between, um, right about 13 to 16 was for me when I was like, okay, I noticed this, but I'm going to deny it because that's not the social norm and that's not what I grew up with, right? And and mm-hmm. so, I, you know, I learned how to stuff, stuff my feelings and ignore that part of myself um, for a really long time until, um, you know, when we have people around us that allow us to be ourselves and um, and build us up, you know, um, that's really where I found that is, you know, the, the teachers and the administration at my high school were very um, supportive and loving, and um, that was attractive to me, you know, and um, and that's really where I found that spark to be, okay, you know what, I, and then I decided to come out when I was about 17 or 18, and um, I haven't looked back since, you know, and and that's really where I found, you know, that part of myself. And I started that journey of self-acceptance and discovering certain things about me. Uh, Joey, this is Aaron. Um, hey, Aaron. I'm, I'm just sitting here kind of I'm just really in awe. First off, I want to say, you know, that you and I share similar stories. Um, and it's remarkable the age. If I aged out of foster care, was taken in about age three. So a lot of what you're saying, uh, I get it, right? Just I, I just get it. Um, I, I guess the, the difference in, in that I'm 37, I'll be 38, uh, in that I had that realization that I was gay as well, right? I knew I was different. Didn't know what it was, but I knew I was different. Um, and, and so I really, uh, coming out in that environment is not only courageous and I don't, you know, I say that in the, in, with the most respect. I, I, it was something I never could do, right? So I came from a very religious family, and um, all the placements that I got put in, they all seemed to be religious as well. Um, and yep. anyway, so if you you move forward, so now you, you've been in this foster environment, you've been in group settings, and and for a lot of kids and a lot of youth, that can really uh, Makes people isolate. It makes people yeah. turn inward. Um, yep. You, you put up the, de- the defenses. And so, can you fast forward a little while, a little bit? So now you, you're adopted by your grandmother. It sounds like you 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 went through school and you found some strength in uh, the GSA and the different environment. Can you move us now to the time where you either the time leading up to or around? your diagnosis. How old were you? And then and what what did that look like for you? Well first I have to like let you know, you know, a little background still. Um, you know, that that 
the events that happened in my childhood really laid the foundation for, um, although it brought about a self-awakening in high school where I was like, okay, I'm different, and I started the acceptance process of being gay, um, I didn't have to be... You know, laid the foundation for my lack of like self worth and um, the feelings that I would never be good enough, right? And uh, and so I started on this journey, um, working in the adult industry and escorting um, while I was still in high school. And so moving forward with that, you know, I did a lot of things to change the way I felt with outside forces, and it wasn't always substances. You know, it was uh, people, places, and playmates, um, you know, and Mm -hmm. I was just turned 21. I was um, two months away from going into the military, and I found out my diagnosis. Um. You know, I will never forget that day. You know, I just went in. I had been really sick weeks. Um, it was like a, mu- a month prior or so. And, um, you know, during that time frame, you know, you could only get tested every certain amount of months because of the way the funding was back then. Um, so I was sick for like two weeks, sick as a dog. I had, I like, I went to the emergency room. I had a fever of 103, and they ran a bunch of tests, but they didn't run an HIV test. And um, so I waited it out. I got a little better. I went back to work, right, and uh, went and got tested. Now I'm sitting in her office, um, in the little doctor's office, and uh, she walks in. And she tells me that because uh, I had just gotten, like, the swab and then they had me do the the uh, small blood sample on the stick. And um, she comes in and she tells me, you know what, we're going to start you on meds right away. And, you know, the first thing I say is, like, what, we, what are you talking about? Meds for what, right? Because no one had told me, like, test results. And um, I just started crying. And she all she could say was, I'm so sorry. Um, the nurse was supposed to tell you, right? And um, and and she walked out, collected herself, came back in, uh, and and um, and that was it. You know, I started meds, and you know that's really where, after that point, is when I really started um, um, using substances and experimenting with that, and. You know, and that's not to say I hadn't used before um, early, you know, in high school, you know, being a uh, rebellious teenager, you know, and stuff like that. You know, I I started drinking in high school and I was probably like 16 or 17. Um, and, but I started using substances after, after that point um, to kind of as a way of numbing my feelings around that because... It was, um, my question wasn't really, you know, because I felt like my life was over at that point because I couldn't, you know, go into the military. Um, you know, I was scared how my, what my family was going to think. 
and um, but I wasn't shocked by the results based on my um, behaviors, you know, that I was participating in. And my information at the time about HIV was very little. You know, I, I knew some people who were positive, so I reached out a little bit, got some more information before I went into that doctor's appointment. So I kind of had a gut feeling that this is what was going to happen. But when you get those results and they're real and they're on paper, like, it, it hits you like a truck. And for me, like, I just, all I could do is cry, you know. And, and um, it was really those feelings of, you know, how am I going to live, you know, with the, the you know, there's a, uh, there's stigma attached to it without our permission, you know, and what I get to do today is um, I get to speak my truth. Now I've gotten to be more comfortable, you know, with my overall, over, overall well-being, if that makes sense, and I'm able to be comfortable in talking about it and um, and being an example, you know, and... And I know that when I speak from my heart, I will reach the heart of someone else who may be struggling. Um, so that's kind of why I do what I do. I don't do what I do. You know, I, I'm not here to be popular. I really, that's not it. You know, I, I kind of got into this uh, public speaking thing when, uh, uh, speeding up a little bit, I was, um, when I um, moved back to Sacramento, it was almost two years now since that day. Uh, I was homeless, sleeping in my car. Um, I was still in my active addiction, doing the deal. And I um, got into a 90-day uh, emergency housing for persons living with HIV. And after some time, you know, you just a little side note, you know, you really don't know who's watching you, you know what I mean? Um, and um, CARES saw that I was doing the work and I was putting my best foot forward and um, I got a phone call while I was at work one day and um, it was like this cryptic message and I'm like, what is this, the FBI? Like, they can't tell me over the phone? Like, you know, I kind of laughed at it and I was like, Okay, well, I'll call her back on my break. And I called her back, and she's like, we want to send a youth to D.C. And at this point, I had been, uh, I think it was like 11 months or so after I had found recovery. And that was huge for me because it had been like my really big secret, right? Only um, a few of my family members at that point in my life knew. Um, and my best friend was the first one I really told. And, you know, just like being gay, being HIV positive became my biggest secret, right? And um, it's funny how that it seems that uh, life is a series of coming out. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm open and honest about it when it's necessary, right? And... Um, Otherwise, I've learned that um, sometimes it's not needed to be said, 
you know, and if, but as long as I accept who I am, right, no one can use my story as ammunition against me. You know what I mean? And um, today, that is like a really big thing for me because uh, it's really amazing when I hear other young people who I've spoken to or I've just crossed their path. Um, recently, I just had someone tell me, um, Joey, you taught me that there is no shame in being HIV positive. <laughs> and I, like, kind of lost it. I had to get the tissues out, and I was just like, like, holy crap. Like, you know, by just being myself, I'm able to to lead by example, and I don't even, sometimes I don't even realize it, you know, and that's the beauty of of just, of just living life, you know, I work full time, um, and when I get asked to speak, um, I I do it because I'm grateful um, for the services that are out there. I went to Ace Watch and I talked. Um, I was thinking about it. And I was like, so I went from the streets to the steps of DC, you know. And uh, there you go. There you know what, Joe. Joe, let me just take a, a phone call real quick. We have a caller here on the line who wants to. Uh... To, to come on air. So let's go ahead. Area code 336. You're on the air. Who's this? Okay. Wanda Hello. Brindle Mall. Hello. Hey, Wanda. Can you hear me? Hey, hey. Wanda. Yes, Wanda. How are y'all? Can you hear me okay? Very well. How are you? Hi, Wanda. I'm, yes? I'm very, I'm very good. Um, the conference that Joey's talking about that he went to in D.C., if memory serves, and we know it's a little bit foggy up there sometimes, but I think that's where I met this phenomenal young man. Um, yes, it is. We, <laughs> we had kind of been stalking each other on Facebook for a while, which is an excellent thing to do. And, you know, he complimented me on what I was doing, but blown away by his story. You know, for him to be mm-hmm. so young, for life to have happened, which we know is part of our journey and it makes us who we are. But I am just so, I had to call her and say how very, very proud I am of Joey. He, he's just one of my other children that I adopt. Well, he's not a child. He's just part of my family that I adopt. <laughs> they were just born to other people. <laughs> <laughs> But he's an amazing young man and doing phenomenal good work. I, I agree. I, I agree. He uh, sounds like a really amazing, amazing person. The thing you keep saying, Joey, that I really like, and I've heard Wanda say it, and I've heard other a- activists and advocates say it, speaking your truth. You can never go wrong when you're speaking your truth. It's very true, yeah. Absolutely. The truth will carry you. And our truths sometimes are hard, um, painful, but they touch somebody else who may not yet be able to speak that truth. So you're that you're helping. That's yeah, very true. Yeah. Very proud of you. Thank you, Wanda, for coming on the air. You know, um, we have been... Uh, stalking each other on Facebook for a little while and I got to see you uh, 
in um, in Miami, uh, the, mm-hmm. the area was National AIDS Conference. Um, after I was awarded um, the scholarship for the NMAC Youth Initiative um, Scholarship Program, and uh, it's just really amazing. You know, you, you give like the best hugs. I have to say, I'm a hugger, and uh, so that was not. She my is a good. She is a good hugger. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I just I love you. You're always smiling, and you you brighten up the room, and um, and that was really attractive. And so I had to like talk to you, you know. And um, if I'm not mistaken, you were the first person I met in D.C. I walked into the hotel, and then um, I'm pretty sure we rode that elevator together. And then I saw you later on. That was um, so it was a, definitely a higher power working in my life. And putting, and that's and that is also another one of my truths. Is along my story, I have met phenomenal people who have guided me onto the right path, and it's just that that um, the beauty of their energy, you know. And um, you know, Wanda, you're, you really inspire me. And like, I read that article when I was in Miami because they gave us these magazines and. Um, in our welcome packet, and there was an article about you, and I read that, and I just instantly messaged you, and I was like, oh, my God, I just read this. Wow, you know? And um, and that's just inspiring that you can speak your truth and just, you know, own it. And I wanted, you know, that. That was attractive to me. And then that, that um, these little things in my life have added up to where I am today in accepting my truth and owning it and um, being reaching out my hand to the next person who comes up behind me, right? And um, I'm a part of the uh, the young person's HIV group um, where I get my primary care, and I try to go every week. Um, I just moved back home from from living up uh, by the national park, and um, I haven't been able to go for a while. So it's good to be reconnected at home and uh, back in Sacramento. And and I get to uh, see that there's that phrase again. I get to right. Um, I get to be a part of this collective circle of young people, and we come together once a week to support each other um, through life's challenges while living with HIV or an AIDS diagnosis. And uh, you know, and it's and while everything I've learned at these conferences. Or, or I just went to the Shanti's uh, uh, HIV AIDS survivor retreat, and bringing that back to my to my um, my little collective like family of young people that I interact with, and um, in the hopes that you know we can attract more young people, you know, because I see a lot of young people, right, but not a lot of them. There's still that stigma attached to. Um, being in care and staying in care and receiving like aftercare services, um, like mental health services, group therapy, um, peer peer to peer like conversations are even still difficult sometimes, and um, it just it's really kind of makes my heart heavy, you know, because there are so many like beautiful little miracles um, and stories, um, and that in these young people that I see. Um, 
and uh, I'm I'm really grateful to just be a part of it, you know. And I get to do that today, and I'm, you know, you know, I got. I got oh, Joey, I told totally, I. Yeah, I, I, Joey, I wanted to just uh, stop you there for one second. No, I totally agree with you. The importance of groups and support and and finding, you know, people. There's an amazing and going to conferences. There's an amazing conference in uh, Florida every year called the Positive Living Conference and. Uh, our friend Butch McKay uh, runs the conference, and it's an awesome conference. Me and Aaron have gone to it before. We spoke there. I would love to go again this year. I think it would be great if you could try to get a whole bunch of young people to go there and get involved in that conference because it is amazing, and it definitely will spark you know, the activism light within everyone else. But I want to take a quick break now and move over to one of our uh, Rise Up to HIV positive message. Um, from Kevin Maloney. So let's go ahead and move over and let's try this. Hi, my name is Mara Mapala and I've lived with HIV for 24 years now. Um, I was a young girl when I was diagnosed and back in those days it was a death sentence and I was told I couldn't have children, I couldn't, I wasn't going to live long and basically told to just give up and um, stop living. And well, since then I've definitely keep living. I've had two children. I'm very happy. I'm an HIV global advocate and activist and I found that living positive is probably one of the best things that ever happened to me. It's given me experiences I never would have imagined and I've been able to travel the world and I've been able to support amazing other people living with HIV. So thank you. Thank you for letting me say this and thank you for letting me share that HIV is not a death sentence anymore and that we can be happy. My name is Charlie Chobe and I'm an HIV positive gay male and I was diagnosed um, a week after my 22nd birthday which could go on record as the worst birthday present humanly possible. It took me a long time to get past these sort of feelings where I was dirty. I was less than. I was a disgrace. I was a failure. A lot of these things that come from the sort of public perception around HIV, you know, HIV, unlike any other condition, all the flack that we get just really comes from a moralistic sort of a place where people can blame it on being a slut or put you in a little box or make you feel shitty about yourself so that you sort of can't live your life with transparency. And it took me a long time to work through these feelings of inadequacy, these feelings that I was never going to be loved, and to realize that that sort of stigma and that bullshit, it's totally unacceptable, and it actually has no bearing on who you are as a person. I, like you and every other HIV-positive person, is a strong, wonderful, phenomenal powerful, interesting, sexy, and amazing as you have always been. And HIV doesn't change that at all. So you need to celebrate and live your life and not be hindered by it because really at the end of the day, HIV can have as much of or as little of an impact as you allow it. I choose to live my life with transparency. I choose to make the most out of everything. And I'm going to have the best the most amazing long life, and HIV doesn't have a damn thing to do with that. I'm always amazed uh, if you have not did your positive uh, message, uh, get on over to Rise Up HIV um, and your one two-minute video. Uh, Kevin will get that uploaded. Really, uh, you know, what I heard 
in your message today um, is, you know, thoughts drive feelings and feelings drive actions. And it sounds like, uh, you know, as we kind of wrap, wrap up this hour, um, that you, you've done a lot of time on focusing on, on you, on Joey, and, and, and all those feelings that, that cause us sometimes to, you know, whether that's substance use, whether that's whatever the void may be and how we choose to feel it. Um, would you say that most of, you know, the change that you've had comes from your participation in, in like the, the, you know, youth groups and, and the different um, therapeutic um, communities that you kind of are, are involved in? You know, I that is very true. You know, for me, I have found people in my life who have walked through what I have walked through thus far and have found, like, a way to live life without using substances. And so, like, those are the people that I have in my life today and uh, who guide me. Um, and, you know, even with them, with therapy and counseling, can only really do so much. And then when you sit down with somebody who has very similar story, right, and it's, it's, it's very therapeutic, to have someone say, me too, right? Me too is very powerful. It means that I'm not dirty. I'm not shameful. I'm not alone. I'm not less than. You know, it means that um, I'm human and there's someone, you know, they, they understand. There's empathy. There's love and compassion um, in that person's eyes when they're telling you this. And, um, you know, Back when I was diagnosed, you know, I really had to, I struggled with that, like, will I be loved? Will I be able to love someone else? Will I be able to have a relationship, right? And um, like you said, you know, how, you know, I chose to to fill that, that void, right, inside my chest with substances, people, um, things, money, um, you know, my job, and allow those things to continue, right? And, uh and that, like, I really found my, my niche, I kind of like my niche is, you know, is in that, you know, and staying connected with those people who build me up and, and hold me up when I, when I can't for myself and when I'm in, like, kind of a, a an emotional down, right? And so life hits, like, a, a it's up and, ups and downs, right? And so I have people in my life who are always in the solution. And even if we're not in the solution together, I know that we can find the solution together, right? And uh, and that's what I try and do in my life, right? It's okay to not have all the answers. Um, okay to not be okay sometimes. And I just have to sit with those feelings and allow them to pass. And, you know, when it really comes down to it, um, emotions, thoughts, and, and feelings, right? They come without my permission, and sometimes they make my life unmanageable. But then I get my choice back. I have my power of choice, and without action behind those thoughts and feelings and emotions, they're, that's all they are. They're not reality. They're, they're just thoughts and feelings. And allowing them to die their natural death is, 
It's very therapeutic for me. I've never been able to feel my feelings. I've always, my way of feeling them was stuffing them away and ignoring them. And today, I I get to feel, right? I, I get to process those feelings. Yeah, sometimes they're they're shitty, you know. I've lost uh, loved ones within the last couple of year, the last year or so, and that was hard. But I've managed to stay on my on this path, um, just one foot in front of the other man, and um, and just always trying to keep my head high, even when my day is low, you know. Well, I think you know. Clearly, we want to have you back. I, to say that I'm, I'm just immensely proud of you uh, would be an understatement. Keep, you know, living your truth. Keep speaking your truth. Um, I can see everything that Wanda says, and let me tell you, if Wanda says it, it is true. Um, uh, mm-hmm. Wanda is one of the, yeah, I mean, she's just, just spot on. I think you're an exceptional uh, person. If people want to find you on social media or if they want to stay in touch with the, the work that you're doing, the advocacy work, uh, how would listeners go about doing that? Well, I, I'm still new to some of the areas of social media. Um, I have my public Facebook page and I have um, Instagram. I just post pictures um, throughout my day. And um, um, Twitter, I'm really a- kind of new to the Twitter, um, so it's kind of uh, – you know, I, the only thing I really do is I try to put positive affirmations out there and positive messages. Um, you know, there's no pun intended, but it's like I like to be a positive person um, to the best of my ability throughout the day. Um, and, uh, you know, that's what I, sh- I kind of like strive to be a positive influence in the, pe- in the people um, that I have um, who are in my life. I try to be a positive influence. Uh, as much as I can to the best of my ability, um, you know. I tell corny jokes, and so when people say positive, you know, stay positive, I always like mm-hmm. to say yeah. I really don't have a choice. It's in my DNA. Very so, true. But um, boom. <laughs> it was funny to me. Others don't find my joke that funny. Well, when we're able to laugh uh, at ourselves, like that's very therapeutic because laughter is, like one of the best forms of therapy and medicine for the, like, I don't know. I love laughing at myself. It's pretty, um, you know, I get to do that today. You know, I never, you know, back then I didn't even want to look at myself in the mirror, let alone try and make a joke at myself. Right. And now I just get to laugh with my friends, you know, and, uh, and, and, and just live moment by moment and enjoy and be present. Well, Joey, I want to say, yeah, I want to say that you know you're amazing. We would love to have you back on uh, on the show. Uh, Stay in touch with us, and uh, I I I know that you're going to do great things. Uh, You're doing great things now. That you're going to continue doing great things um, and changing uh, changing people's you know kind of their view on reality. Robert, any final words with Joseph? Yeah, Joseph, I just want to say thanks for coming on and sharing your story. You're you're a brave young man, and I I look forward to see you at the conferences. So remember that Positive Living Conference. Check it out, and and see if you can make it. It's a it's an incredible conference for you to go to. It's 
a bunch of positive people helping and just supporting each other. And it's, it's life changing. So if you can get a chance to get out there and do that, I would. And I just want to put your Twitter ha- handle out there. It is Joseph R underscore act underscore gray. So people can follow you there too. Any final words, uh, Joe, before we go? Yeah, I just wanted to, you know, really, uh, thank you both for this, uh, wonderful opportunity. Um, you know, I do my best not to say no when I'm asked to be of service. Um, uh, to the best of my ability, and I just want to end with this. You know, um, you know, I get to be a positive voice today, and um, HIV lives with me, and stigma ends with me. Thank you very much for having me on the show. There Thanks, you go, Joe. There's Joseph Gray. Thanks a lot, Joe. So there we have another great young man sharing his story, you know, and that's the point of this program of, and why POSIM was created, to to bring our stories and to, to uh, you know, to kind of celebrate our life and, and find similarities in each other and know that we're not so different when we think that we are. So I, I think he's awesome. Fantastic. I look forward to meeting with him. So um, let me see here. What were you going to say? I'm sorry. Oh, I'm always just really amazed at, at the work that people are doing. Um, no shortage of inspiration this week for sure. Yeah, everybody's voice is important, so I think it's important that we continue to share more stories. So uh, next week we will be speaking with uh, the author of Standing Strong, Diane Reeve. Uh, you've seen her. She, her, she shared her story here before. She's been on 2020 on the Oprah Show, and she's now going to come here and talk about her new book that um, is making a big splash in, uh, uh, looks like, in, in on Amazon and places. So I'm, I'm excited to have her come back on and give us an update of how she's doing. And remember, you can find all of our past shows and today's archive show and even Wanda's interview from earlier last month uh, by going to uh, pauseimradio.com, and all our shows are linked there. Aaron, have a great week, um, and uh, I hope it's a good one. Next week, we'll return live again. I'm excited. All right. See ya. Join us each and every Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time when we bring you your weekly dose of hope. You can join in the conversation after the show is off air. Going on Twitter at PauseIMRadio, Aaron Laxton. While you're on there, reach out to I'm Still Josh as he brings your weekly HIV scoop. And check out Kevin Maloney with Rise Up to HIV. I encourage you, if you've not already done so, please contribute to positive message campaign from each and every one of you who contribute and allow us to bring this show to you thank you from the bottom of our hearts and if you know someone who would be interested in coming on air or you think there's something that we need to cover please let us know we're here to bring content that you need and you want from each and every one of us over at pause i am radio from myself and robert brining Have a safe and happy week. And until we talk again, stay positive.